Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for M Plus subscribers. To get full access, head to mamamia.com.au forward slash M plus. That's M-P-L-U-S or follow the link in the episode description. I am definitely recording. Oh, yep. I'm definitely recording. Sorry, what happens now? I don't want to touch anything. I'm feeling capable. Okay. Welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about. I'm Holly Wainwright and a fun fact about me is that my bag is full of condiments. I carry around a bottle of hot sauce as well as some salt at all times. I'm Mia Friedman and a fun fact about me is that when I'm stressed, I wear a hat to keep my thoughts from flying out of my ears. Does it work? No. I do it subconsciously. The people around me have pointed it out. I didn't even realise. Wow. And I'm Emma Gillespie and my fun fact is that approximately 100 years ago, I was a little intern at Mamma Mia with little Jessie Stevens and little Claire Stevens. Oh. And speaking of Jessie Stevens. Yes. So many outlouders know that Jessie Stevens wasn't around last week because she was in the Northern Territory with her family, with her sister and her mum, and they were having an amazing trip. Jessie had an accident on that trip, as you might know if you follow her on social media, and she has broken her leg. Now, she will be back to tell you the story of that happening, which is a very difficult one. But right now, Jessie has just got out of hospital and she's on her way back to Sydney. And all we are doing is sending her all the love in the world, which I know all the outlouders will also want to do. Emma is stepping in today. We've obviously had other people filling in and doing a sterling job, but we cannot wait to have our Jessie back. And we just need her to be well. Poor girl can't catch a break. Crystals in her head, broken leg. Poor thing. So send her all your love out louders and Jessie will be back to tell you herself as soon as she is able. But on the show today, it's Mia's turn to be in COVID ISO. And so if there are any technical glitches today, that's why. Mia's recording from home. I'm sure that plenty of outlouders at any one time are in COVID ISO too. So how are our brains bending to this very strange stage of the endless pandemic? And the pre-date screening hack that M, M Gillespie, guest host, wishes she knew a few months ago and could just change your dating life. But first... I have the best advice for women in business. Get your fucking ass up and work. What does it take to succeed as a woman in business? There seems to be a lot of advice around about that these days. And last week, Kim Kardashian herself gave some that pretty much sent the internet into meltdown. This is what she said when she was asked, what do women in business need to know to succeed? It seems like nobody wants to work these days. That's so true. You have to surround yourself with people that want to work, have a good work environment where everyone loves what they do because you have one life. No toxic work environments. 
and show up and do the work. So that first bit where she said nobody wants to work these days, and I think that was Chloe who chimed in from the background. Was it Chloe? I think it was Courtney. Courtney chimed in from the background. That is so true, is the comment that has got her in rather a lot of shit this week. So despite the fact that we've been talking about Kim K in a few different ways lately, we've been talking about how she's being hounded by her abusive ex Kanye West, how her relationship with Pete Davidson is becoming fodder for him to issue death threats and all kinds of things. Right now, what we're talking about is how tone deaf that was. A lot of people have pointed out that it's a bit easier to become a billionaire, which Kim Kardashian is. She has, as well as being Kim Kardashian, she has a fragrance line, a beauty line, and Skims, which is her underwear line, is valued at $3.2 billion. So, you know, she's got a lot going on. But a lot of people felt similarly to how Jamila Jamil felt, who tweeted, I think if you grew up in Beverly Hills with super successful parents in what was simply a smaller mansion, nobody needs to hear your thoughts about success and work ethic. Spurned a million think pieces about how this is exactly the wrong time to be saying this when so many people are doing it tough during the pandemic times. People are losing their jobs, struggling to pay bills on minimum wage. And as many people have pointed out, a lot of people work very, very hard to allow Kim Kardashian to be a billionaire. Something that is very well articulated in this tweet from Elizabeth Sherman, who says, what baffles me about Kim Kardashian's nobody wants to work comments is that we very clearly live in the era of the hustlers mentality, where everyone has three jobs, is a social media influencer and a freelancer of some kind too. All anyone does is work and it's killing us. So my question is, were Kim Kardashian's comments offensive, insulting, dangerous or just a bit dumb? M. Gillespie. Listen, This is just completely unsurprising from this beautiful, glorious billionaire, Kimmy K, who, yes, works very hard. It can't be denied. She works hard. But she's rich. She was always rich. She inherited wealth. She's earned wealth. But she's a billionaire who just hasn't been impacted by the pandemic in the same way most of us have. So for her to stand up there and say, work your fucking ass off, like, Kimmy, you don't get it. She didn't get it when she had the 40th birthday party on the private island while the rest of us were in quarantine, and she doesn't get it now. And what was so disappointing for me about this sentiment is it echoes this kind of like boomer mentality or what a lot of older white men say about Gen X and Gen Y, that they're lazy and they don't want to work. And I think that they're getting that confused with a generation that's been empowered to know what they deserve and what they don't want to put up with. And so can we really blame them, these younger people that want more? Oh my God. I think everyone's lost their minds. Like I really do. Honestly, She said a couple of things. First of all, I reject the premise of your question about whether it's dangerous or reckless or it's just something that she said on her reality show and it's just her opinion. First of all, the call for boycotts and all of that is just insane. Like, honestly, if people can't cope with hearing an opinion that they don't agree with without needing to lose it, I think we've all lost it. But the fact that she's wealthy and she grew up in privilege And she still works as hard as she does. You know, I think that what she was talking about is the idea that is weaponized against a lot of successful women and particularly women who are 
working in industries that are female dominated, like maybe beauty or whatever it happens to be or influencers, that it just is easy. And it's like when people call me a mummy blogger or when people talk about chick lit, it's so dismissive. The idea that just because you are a successful young woman means that you haven't had to work really, really hard. All she's saying is that people think she just rolls out of bed and has a million people around her. And just because you do have a million people around you doesn't necessarily mean that you can't also work. I think two things can be true. I don't think people really think that about her, though. I think they know she works really, really hard. I think there's a little bit of this criticism that is like posting lots of pictures of her on private jets going like this with her fingers, like making the victory sign with her fingers and going like, yeah, really hard work. Yeah, but is anyone surprised that the billionaire is out of touch? I think it's just like a little bit of disappointment for feminism as a whole because, yeah, you're right, there, there's a pile on it's women against women puff now. Puff a fish, puff a fish. I knew when you were going to puff a fish about this. I was, wish I was there to smack you upside down. <laughs> I mean, obviously I wouldn't. Hypothetically. <laughs> but that's a headline. <laughs> but you know when you say I think it's a disappointment for feminism, like when did we get confused between women and feminism? Like one woman said one thing And suddenly it's a failure of feminism and we're having a million think pieces. I don't know. Maybe I'm just feeling a little bit zen about everything, but I can't find any outrage in me. Here's what I think, right, is that I think it was a stupid thing to say because it's obvious that a lot of people work incredibly hard to make Kim Kardashian rich. And this idea, it's it's very similar to comments that have been said before, and I'm going to use female examples in this, but that's going to get me to the point I'm going to make ultimately. They're very similar to comments that lots of people have made before, like Gina Reinhart, who once said, there's no monopoly on becoming a millionaire. If you're jealous of those with more money, don't just sit there and complain, just work harder. Or Roxy Jusenko, who said, you know, there's a mentality about there that nine to five is okay and putting in 60% is okay and all that kind of stuff. In America, it's even more so because the belief in the American dream and that anyone can succeed if they work hard is almost part of their national DNA. And I think that we are all much more educated now to know that's just not true. You can't actually just Mm. work a lot of hours in the day and become a billionaire. In fact, it's impossible to earn the money to become a billionaire. There has to be a whole lot else going on in that picture. So what Kim Kardashian said, I think, is exceptionally stupid and quite insulting to all the people who work for her, who are not billionaires, but probably work a lot of long hours. But... I think we reserve a special type of scorn for women who say this kind of stuff because male billionaires and millionaires say exactly the same kind of stuff all the time. Elon Musk is always sitting around going, no one ever changed the world on a 40-hour week. And everybody's always talking about, you know, like, don't just take a nine-to-five job, hustle, hustle, hustle. But for some reason, if women say it, is it because we're surprised that they're not more compassionate? Is it because we're surprised they're not more empathetic? Because... I often defend Kim Kardashian and it's not a popular position to take, but that's because I think she's surprising. I think a person of Kim Kardashian's stature could be doing a lot of different things than she is doing, which is she's working every hour God sends building businesses. And I know that's her you know, prerogative. She's also put herself through law school and she has this massive passion for prison reform. So she also works through that. She could choose a much easier path. She could choose a much more mm. sitting around getting your nails done kind of life than she does. And so I'm always a little bit defensive of that because even though they're not striving to just hoard as much money as you can is not my personal view of success or how I think, you know, what everybody's pinnacle of success should be. I'm impressed that there are women in the world 
who are doing that as Kim Kardashian is. And I think we're very quick to smack her down because of what she looks like, because of how she presents herself, blah, 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 blah. So I'm going to sit on the fence because I think her comment was stupid, but I also think if a man had said it, we would not have had a million column inches about it. We just were having fun and we genuinely love Mamma Mia out loud! It's a family. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. Let's get more now on the COVID situation in New South Wales and the Omicron sub-variant causing concern. Health authorities have revealed a new variation of the Omicron COVID strain is sweeping across SA. Here's a funny story. I'm in ISO, but I don't have COVID. It's 2020. I'm not in lockdown. Well, I kind of am in lockdown. I'm not allowed to leave my house. Also, in case you missed it, there's a new sub-variant of Omicron. I don't think it has a new name. I think it's called like BA2 or something. It's kind of like Omicron's little sister. It could be the child of Elon Musk and Grimes. That's the kind of the name. <laughs> yes, it's true. Oh, yeah, Very exactly. Bad. COVID had a baby with Elon Grimes. I can't speak. <laughs> but what's interesting is about I've been sort of scanning my mind and my heart for emotions about how I feel about the fact that I'm in ISO. I should have said I don't have COVID. Someone in my house does. So we're all locked down for seven days. I had a massively busy week this week, probably the busiest I've had in two years in terms of work commitments and social commitments. And obviously all of that's gone out the window. And what I found interesting is that I just don't feel anything. I don't feel angry. I don't feel scared. I don't feel disappointed. I don't feel resigned. I kind of just feel nothing. And I read something on the weekend that really helped me understand my mood. It was in the Atlantic and it was called, Our Brains Want the Story of the Pandemic to be Something It Isn't. It described how after two years of living with the coronavirus, we're suffering from something called narrative fatigue. And it said, if the pandemic were a movie, it wouldn't make any sense. Even putting aside the suffering and monotony that would make up the film's action, the narrative structure of COVID, defined by its false endings, exhausting duration, and inscrutable villain, a virus, would be unwatchable. It kind of explains, I thought this was so clever, the way it's resisting our our desire to put it into a framework. You know how everyone's like, okay, well, that's behind us or we're going to live with COVID and we're on the upward trajectory. And we just kind of aren't. It sort of keeps morphing and changing like the virus itself. And I just, I don't know how to feel. I need someone to tell me how to feel. Em, do you have any feelings about COVID? Are you scared of the new variant? I am unscared. Like Holly, I've been through it Mm -hmm. and I'm not willing to believe that it could ever be as bad as it was in January. (laughs) Same. But the thing about this that stood out with this article from The Atlantic, you're screaming out like, where is our redemption arc? Like we feel like we've been owed this happy ending or we desperately want to tie this whole saga up into a neat little bow and put it behind us. But instead we've got this very slow, depressing, teetering out and we just want a reality that matches the storyline we fantasized about in our head for two years. 
because for two years we have fantasized about the day when we're all frolicking around Europe for summer again, or we can't remember the last time anyone had to take a rat test or couldn't yeah. come to the party or the wedding or the holiday because they were sick. And the reality is not complying with our deep desires. And that's really stressful. It is really stressful. And it's also very clever how this piece that you're talking about, Mia, it pinpoints how we've all been conditioned to follow a very simple arc. And as a fiction writer, I know that when I submit my manuscript to my publisher, she'll come back to me and she'll say things like, there's too many characters. The reader will get confused. Or there's too many timelines or, you know, I need to understand what this person's motivation is and where they're going to end up. We are literally conditioned that all the stories we consume in various ways have a very neat arc and they're not too confusing and they don't keep taking jagged turns off into nowhere. I mean, we talk about that when we record this show. Our executive producer, Liza and Mia, have coined this term of an exploding chicken, which is like, oh, you're going to veer off now onto a tangent, which is exactly what I'm doing. Horrible in this visual. Moment. Yeah. So we don't like it and we tidy up everything around us with editing, you know, even with our own social media feeds and everything. We tidy up all of our storylines to have a very clear beginning, middle, end moral. And COVID is not doing that for us, as this story so brilliantly points out. I have a friend who has just entered her third week of ISO. She has not yet had COVID, but everybody in her house has had COVID in turn. So just when somebody was getting over it, another person would get it and then another person would get it. A whole lot of my friends whose kids are at school are in an ISO because of positive tests, but nobody is sick. This isn't how we imagined it. As well as our very strong conditioning to like tidy stories, we also have very short attention spans and it's screwing with us. I'm just of that mindset now where I just don't expect anything to go according to plan. Yes. Because... Every occasion you go to, as you touched on, Em, every occasion you go to, there's someone who couldn't be there. Every plan that you had, there's someone who couldn't make it, any wedding, any dinner, any gathering. It's always like they couldn't come. But I think you especially, Hull, have gotten really good at having that attitude about, you know, the small joys. Holly's always, you know, in her hope punk way telling (laughs) us that you have to do the thing when you can do the thing. And I think for a lot of people that's been rerouting their natural state of thinking or planning or looking forward that it really comes down to being a lot more serendipitous, jump on that thing, say yes to doing that thing tonight, go to that place on the weekend, which I don't know if that's a bad thing. Yeah, that's really true because I think that I've had glimpses of the redemption arc. Like I was at a wedding a month or two ago Mm. and I was dancing like crazy and I didn't see a mask and I haven't danced in years and everyone was so happy and hugging and it felt like, yeah, we're out of it. And now I'm back in ISO and a whole lot of things that had been rescheduled, rescheduled, rescheduled for this week are now having to be cancelled. I'm having to let a whole lot of people down. The Prime Minister said on the weekend that household close contact rules are redundant. So I was like, well, if they're redundant, but I'm still at home, are they going to be scrapped tomorrow or the next day? It just kind of feels like being on drugs or something. I just don't know how to but process But I think anything. we talked about this a lot when Omicron came up. And I remember Jesse, our lovely Jesse, saying like, this isn't going to be a thing. And then it locked us all in our houses for a long time. But the thing is, is that accepting the lack of control of not knowing I keep saying this, but it's the lesson we're being taught over and over and over again is this is going to be around for years yet and in different ways and different forms and different vaccines and different levels of 
it's not going to obey our rules. It's just not. And maybe that's, we've all just got to get a bit more chaotic. There was quite a funny anecdote in that article from a psychologist that they spoke to. And they said, what if you were watching a movie like at a theatre and someone got up in front of you and started having an argument with his partner on his mobile phone? And that's basically what's happened is that the virus is the guy in the movies yelling at his partner on the (laughs) phone and you're really pissed off because it's disrupting the movie that you're waiting for. You're like, I'm waiting for the movie to start. This guy needs to be quiet. I don't want to miss the opening scene. But the opening scene is not coming. (laughs) (laughs) And you've just got to live anyway. That's the rule. Keep going. Please explain. I have found a dating hack one that I never knew I needed and one that could have saved me a lot of time and pain when I was single. Emily Burnham, who works here at Mamma Mia, has a newsletter called The Lonely Girl's Guide. It's fantastic, especially if you're in your 20s, single, dating, get amongst it. We'll put a link in the show notes for you to sign up. Her most recent one included a piece that she wrote called I've Started Going on 10-Minute Dates. It's completely changed the game. Em describes herself as a serial dater and lately she's been trying out something that she calls a pre-date screening hack. Yes. Em writes, pre-date screening is when you briefly meet up with someone for no more than 30 minutes to see if you vibe with them instead of finding this out in a minimum two-hour pre-planned date. So according to TED Talk speaker Christina Wallace, you only need about 30 seconds with someone to really know if you're going to click. Oh. 30 seconds. 30 seconds is all it takes. So Em decided to put it into practice with two dates that she had in the pipeline. So she'd already locked them in and ahead of those dates she sent them a text saying, hey, I know we're meeting up in a few days but I'm actually going to be in your area this afternoon. Are you free for a coffee? First of all, so brave. This girl is fierce and brave. brave. Both guys came back to her and were keen. So they were both like, yep, let's do it. Let's make it happen. First date, Em spent half an hour with one of them. So had a coffee. Conversation was great. She was really into it. But that night he texted her to let her know, hey, it was great to meet you. I didn't feel a connection. No further follow-up date needed. No further date needed. But I have a question, Em. Did she tell them what she was doing? No. No, no, no. It was just, hey, I'm in your area. Why don't we get a coffee? We'll keep the plan for the date, but let's just get a cheeky little coffee. The second guy sucked. She hated him. He had some questionable views about women. Em left after 10 minutes and she never had to see him again. So these predates ended up being very different, but the outcome was the same. The planned first date got cancelled. And sure, there was a bit of disappointment, especially with the first one. And yep, Em had to spend 10 minutes with a yucky guy. But wouldn't it have been way worse if she'd gone on one amazing date, fantasised about the possibilities of a relationship with this person, waited three days for a text that never comes and gets ghosted? Or imagine if she'd been stuck at a dinner eating across from the guy who said, feminism seems like wasted emotional labour. Yeah, that's what I've always said. She's a genius. Yeah, I think it's genius. My version of this used to be meeting up for a drink and then getting dinner if the vibes were good because I was always nervous to commit to a meal for a first date in case I needed to get out ASAP. But the drink clouds your judgment because I used to do that. I used to do that, let's just meet for a drink, and if it turns into dinner, it does. But the thing is, is after three drinks, anything can turn into dinner. You get a bit tipsy, you get a bit naughty. If only it was just dinner that it turned into. Inhibitions fly out the window. Mia, what do you think about pre-date screening? Oh, I think it's so clever. I think it's such a great idea. Can I ask a question though? Why wouldn't you do it on Zoom? Oh, no. 
so that you don't even have to leave the that's house. That's too clinical. Think? Like I think you still need you need to be face to face and like get the pheromones and see how tall they are and how nice are their teeth and do they have lovely kind eyes and maybe if they have shitty Wi-Fi you won't be able to see their beautiful eyes. There's a Japanese restaurant on Crown Street in Sydney's Surrey Hills that every time I drive by it or walk by it, I have a visceral like head to toe shivery reaction as if someone walked over my grave because I had the worst date of my life there Oh my god! with a guy who I met on RSVP <gasps> back in the day. Back in the, the day. Early days of internet dating before I'd learned the rule about do not commit to dinner. Yeah. I had spoken to this guy on the phone because I had a theory that voices, you could tell a lot about chemistry mm. from the voice, thought this guy was good. Three hours in that fucking Japanese restaurant. Why couldn't you leave? I felt embarrassed and weird and he never stopped talking. And he wasn't creepy. He wasn't <laughs> dangerous. It's just so, he was so boring. My He probably had the bored. night of his life. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to extricate myself. And then at the end of the dinner when I finally did go like, it's definitely time for me to go now. <laughs> he was like, so are we going to do this again? Like he put me on the spot there in that restaurant. Oh, no. And I had to say, and this is why I have that reaction every time I drive past it, I don't think so. <laughs> I, and he wow, was mad that's with so me. Holly, one of the worst first dates I ever went on was a Japanese restaurant in Surrey Hills. <gasps> and I had, a, there. I had a coughing fit. I had like a tickle in my throat. And you know when you just can't, you're drinking water and you go to the bathroom and you're like trying and it won't go away. And he was so slimy and yuck and it was just horrific. And similarly, every time I pass that restaurant, I look in and I look for young women and I think, are there any young women in here who are having the worst date of their life? Because <laughs> just like stand up and leave, walk out. You can transfer this money. <laughs> if you're feeling bad about it, get out. You know um, how people of my generation like to refer everything to Sex in the City? I refer you to Carrie and Berger, their pre-date date. She had been building up to their date forever. What am I going to wear? Oh, my yeah. God, whatever. And then she calls him from Times Square. She's wearing something crap and she just goes, can we just meet for coffee or cocktail or whatever? Yeah. And it went well. Well, did it, Burger? Oh, pretty but flop. that's a bad example because he was an idiot. He broke up with her on a post-it note, remember? No, but they had some good times in between. A very flaccid kind of a man, that Burger. Oh, that's such a good one. <laughs> Sorry. Before we go, M. Gillespie, you have a recommendation for us that might lift our spirits. Okay, I have a very easy recommendation. It is free for all. It's an Instagram account called Recess Therapy. It's so cute. This comedian, I think he's based in New York, Julian Shapiro Barnum, goes around interviewing preschool-aged kids about life's big questions. It's basically the meaning of life as told by preschoolers. I've got a little bit from one of my favourite recent ones that I'm going to play for you. Do you know what bad words are? Oh, yeah. I know one that's a really bad word, but I don't really want to say it right now. Can you spell it? S-T-O-O-P-I-D. Oh. Yeah. Sometimes I secretly say it. When? Big kids are doing, like, mean stuff. Yeah, yeah. If I say it once, will you say it? I'm not really like that kind of person, really. You know what that is? That is people who don't have kids 
thinking kids. I was going to really say cute. unpopular opinion. <laughs> other people's children being cute. I, I, I just, it oh bores me. God. Stupid. It's got like one point six million followers. Yeah, exactly. It's people that don't all have of them kids are yet. people without yeah, children. Because when you've had kids and you've had your own cute toddler in the house. They say really cute things and you think they're cute. That you know, No, because sometimes friends will show you videos of their kids and they'll be like, oh, little Timmy said the darndest thing and it's just not cute. Recess therapy is blue tick verified cute. Okay, blue tick verified cute. I'm glad you brought that up because just a quick public service announcement. Don't ever show anyone a picture of your children or your dog unless they specifically ask you. <laughs> I think that's just a good rule for life. I think we just, just don't. lost no half one our wants to see base. it unless they ask. Oh my god, she's so hardcore. That is all we have time for today. Again, sending massive love to our beloved Jessie Stevens. She will be back with us as soon as she can get herself here. <laughs> get off thing. the morphine, Jessie. Get I ready. Know. But that is all we have time for today. Thank you for filling in, Anne Gillespie, Thank producer. Thank you for M. having me, lovely ladies. Host of extraordinary stories. Triple threat. At least one and a half. Thank you for listening to this episode of On Mirror Out Loud. It was produced by Liz Ratliff and Emma Gillespie. And if you're looking for a new addition to your podcast rotation, what are you wearing? Oh, my God. What are you wearing is so good. Denny and Tam, lifestyle guru, styled by Denny. Denny is a, a fashion guru too. And, and an out louder. And a massive out louder. I Hi, pinch Denny. myself that Denny's an out louder because I've been obsessed with them for years. Yes. They tell you what to wear and they tell you in the best, most accessible, fun, interesting ways. We're going to play you a little bit of it here, but if you need a zhuzh in your life, go listen to What Are You Wearing? So I want to talk a little bit about what we've seen on the runway so far and what we're going to be wearing this winter. And Denny, I'm calling it a sexy season. It is mm, hot. A sexy season. Yes. So the first big trend is what we're calling post-pandemic power dressing. This has been bubbling away for a little while. We knew that we were going to kind of find our groove with fashion again after the pandemic, but British Vogue is calling it power dressing. And we've seen this on the runways at shows like Dolce & Gabbana, Michael Kors, Versace. It's this sort of 80s statement, boxy, blazers, big shoulders, short hemlines, very foxy, very cool, very 80s. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures 